Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. Well, welcome back to the Video Insiders. Dror, it is so great to be on the microphone always with you, but in this um, new normal, um, post-new normal, uh, what do we call this time we're in right now? <laughs> well, Mark, this is the new, new normal, and it could be the, uh, will it ever go back to the old normal, normal? That's right. And and wait, do we want it to go back to the old normal? I'm not well, sure. C- certain, certain things, absolutely. But, you know, but I don't know. Thing, yes, certain, <laughs> some things, some things have definitely improved. This will be our 50th episode. Now, I know we have a couple we haven't released yet. So, you know, maybe this will actually be 51, 52. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. But it's the 50th um, but- ones we're recording. Yeah. The topic today is a codex standard that we started our very first episode talking about, and that was now more than 18 months ago. Um, And the world has really changed, um, you know, in terms of development of this standard. So today we're talking about AV1. And um, we're interviewing a founder of a company who, um, you know, I'm not going to steal her thunder, so we'll let her uh, uh, tell us all about what they're doing. But um, uh, they are a great innovator in AV1 and um, really looking forward to this conversation. So this is Zoe Liu. I'm from Vision Nuller. I'm the co-founder and president of Vision Nuller. We were founded um, in July of 2018, just right after the standard uh, finalization of AV1. Prior to the founding of Nuller, I was mainly spending five years with Google, initially in the Google Glass team, and at the beginning of 2015, January uh, the 2nd, I joined the team of WebM under Chrome. And at the time, uh, I was once... Uh, uh, one of the the earlier couple of engineers uh, who started to look at VP10, the standard right after VP9. So later into the year of 2015, then AOM came into being, and the version zero of AV1 actually was a uh, branch out from VP9. So throughout the year before AV1, um, uh, we have already developed quite a few tools for VP10. So uh, down the road, we migrate quite a few tools, of course, under the committee of AV1 to finally into the AV1 code base. So you actually started working on AV1 development before AOM was formed. At the time, it was referred to as VP10. And we developed quite a few tools just also target on um, of course, mainly at the time was on the scenario of video on demand. So VOD scenario and try to get some new tools so that we can further improve the code efficiency beyond the scope of VP9. For the very first time, uh, compared to its predecessors, everyone introduced a web-based. It's non-rectangular, non-square block shapes. And also beyond the translational motions, it introduced coding tools such as warp motion. So warp motion for the first time introduced uh, the use of a fine transform to model the motions in the codex standards. Beyond the translational motion, it has uh, tried to model motion for rotation that uh, 
inherent actually in many video resources. So with all these coding tools, that brings uh, the advantage of everyone, not only as an open source, but also as a more uh, coding efficiency, uh, which is a great potential to be leveraged to the community. My thesis at Purdue was mainly on scalable video coding and algorithms coding. The thesis can be downloaded from Purdue website. So in 2008, I, I left the research lab and then got my very first industrial job at Apple. Um, I spent about three years and a half in Apple, mainly um, for the product of FaceTime. At the time, it's still very challenging because everybody think 264 compared to MPEG 2 is way too complicated. So I think the same view as people would view AV1 as of today, back to that time. As I mentioned, um, our Vision Nuller, we were founded in July of 2018, right after AV1 was established. We were... Um, at the beginning, uh, on the fourth, on the day one, we decided because based on our background, I was uh, one of the members uh, going through the standardization of V1 from the beginning to the end. And my partner, John, he was previously mainly doing HEVC encoder. Um, he actually was a, uh, is a serial entrepreneur. His first startup was uh, founded in 2014, and in the late of 2015, less than two years after it was founded, they were acquired by uh, Kingsoft, Kingsoft Cloud. The reason we came to uh, Vision Nuller, all because of years-long uh, video codec uh, background, we were passionate about video codec, and we were seeing that oh, there's a new standard that's coming, so we can do something. That's how Vision Nuller came to being. So at the beginning, we also um, very actively joined the LibOM. As I mentioned, that is an open source uh, code base behind everyone by uh, managed by uh, AO Media and Google. So we contributed in the open source in the year of 2018, more than, I think, somewhere between 200 and 220 uh, software committed to the code base of LibOM, mainly for the standardization and also for uh, LibOM as encode optimization to manifest the advantage that everyone can bring out to the community. Uh, here you are in the um, Alliance of Open Media developing AV1 coming from Google. And the Alliance of Open Media is developing both the AV1 standard and also um, the members are developing different open source implementations of AV1, such as libAOM and RayV and uh, SVTAV1. Um, and then you're kind of uh, spinning off from that and um, creating your own company. And now you're going to do an AV1 commercial implementation. So it's, it's, it's really interesting for me to understand how was this perceived by all of the open source community developing AV1 and LibOM that you were working with, and then you suddenly, you know, start your own commercial company to develop an AV1 implementation. How, how does this, um, uh, how was this perceived and how did this uh, connect to your previous work? I think the two uh, major driver, driving factors behind it. Uh, and first one is uh, we want to serve um, the still again as the similar to my first transition. We want to serve as many customers as possible and provide the best possible solution to every single customer we can encounter. So uh, one thing I can give an example that that can only after 
we start to proactively touch uh, the customers as a commercial um, provider, we can encounter such uh, requests from our customer. So we have one customer that they have their mainly they are providing um, um, not so sure, some medium length videos and their potential end users are in Africa. So they provide the video uh, uh, sharing platform and they have an app to be installed in the mobile devices. And it's very hard to imagine that um, how many videos can be consumed right now by the countries in Africa because right now still the bandwidth is very limited. And then um, I was told uh, by our, this is the enterprise, uh, enterprise customer, and then they said they end users, they have very daily limited quota to consume videos. So they have been very looking into how much video bandwidth they can, they can consume. Of course, they want their users to watch as many, as long video as possible. So they really have to squeeze their videos to lower resolution, lower bit rate, but still they want to have a great quality. They migrated from 264 to 265. So I asked them whether the phone can support 265. They said, no problem. They just use software HEVC 265 decoder across all devices because it will be easier for them to manage. So you can hardly imagine, yes, all those relatively low-end phones can support HEVC browsing. And further, they came to us, they said they want to ship an even better product with lower bit rate uh, without sacrificing the video quality. That's why they want to look at AV1. And they came to us, they said they did try LibOM and a few others. But uh, they do observe the advantages from LibOM. They said uh, it's about 10% to their usage, but it's quite different. 10% to them is not as much because they have put a lot of effort to distribute the software decoder of, of AV1 to all their devices, to their end users, quite effort. They want to look for a larger coding uh, efficiency, a larger build rate. So they tried our solution, um, and then they they did observe 20% uh, code efficiency. So that looks quite attractive to them. But later down, they did, um, using our solution and to encode their video, they said, yes, the quality, uh, the bit rate looks good, and the PSNR under S. Team, but they're very uh, much paying attention to the subject quality. So their videos, they are mainly focused on the sporting videos. There are some soccer games, they uh, will call football games in Europe. And they want to look for, especially when the ball was striking, they said sometimes they can see the ghosting artifacts along the ball. They don't want their young users to look for that. So they want a better subject quality. So for their request was specifically tuning the subject quality of our encoder and finally met their request. So we were very excited. And you never know that there's such customers and users in Africa and then become one of the early customers of ours to get their hands on the new standard for AV1. So basically with the commercial implementation, you are targeting you can target specific needs of the customer and you can customize your solution for their application. Whereas the open source is kind of uh, generic. It's supposed to cover all cases. And then um, if uh, somebody wants to use the open source, they need to adapt it to their needs. 
while uh, when you are working with a customer, you're taking your commercial implementation and you can really tune it um, to the way that uh, uh, to their uh, specific uh, use case and uh, and requirements. There's even another insight that um, you know sticks out in my mind, and and that is when I look at these um, open source implementations of AV1 you have to consider like these are partners who are building for their needs. So, um, and, and that doesn't make it wrong. Um, that's what they should do. Um, but AV, SVT AV1, for example, um, obviously we can infer um, that, you know, Netflix is making certain decisions that is based on their needs, whereas Mozilla is thinking about the browser. And, you know, LibOM, we all know, is is really all about VOD and a, and a different use case. So we want to cover all kinds of different scenarios, all the way from VOD to live streaming and then to also low delay interactive communications uh, using AV1. Um, our solution for AV1 is referred to as Aurora. There's quite some tools that have been developed specifically for um this SCC user scenario, we were trying to manifest that to its largest potential. So currently, we have shown that using Aurora applied to screen content coding compared, for example, 264, we can only use uh, the half or even a quarter of the bit rate that that is consumed by a two C four or X two C four encoder. Screen content is a, is a very special use case. For example, we want to deliver ten eighty p. We have to usually deliver at thirty frames per second that kind of encoding speed. But for screen content, you don't have to be that high. At least if you deliver even twenty up. Uh, uh, what we deliver right now can be over 20 or 25 frames per second and almost all the major PCs. But even sometimes, if you look at Zoom um, or some other video conference uh, um, for screen content, if you just deliver even 5 or 10 frames per second, that would be more than enough. So this is a very special scenario that you can leverage the advantage of the code efficiency brought by AV1 and leveraging the coding tools is provided for screen content. This is just one of the several scenarios we have launched our AV1 product with customer. Another scenario is just as I mentioned, for the live streaming. And um, SVT AV1, as we mentioned, it is very good as multi-threading. So we also compare Aurora against SVT AV1 for live streaming scenario. So based on our current data, we can show that on, um, um, for example, on the uh, AMD, a thread deeper, uh, the 32 core uh, servers, and for using Aurora One, we were trying, uh, already it's confirmed that we can deliver 1080p 60 frames per second live streaming of the most complicated game videos. And the next step, because we can use much less CPU resources to achieve 1080p 60 frames per second using our current Aurora vision, we might be only used up to, uh, out of 32 cores, we might only use to half or even less than half, uh, close right now to a quarter of the CPU resources. 
Uh, the game streaming right now we look at somewhere between four and uh, f- uh, six megabits per second. For 1080p, 60 frames per second. With 1080p, 60 frames per second, we have evaluated between two megabits per second all the way to six megabits per second. The most recent version we only consumes less than half or even just close to a quarter of the 32 cores. And then at the same time, then we can have several such a bit streams concurrently running on the AMD um, 3 Deeper. And also we have been clo- closely collaborating with Twitch and Mozilla and trying to push forward the AV1 in the usage of live streaming. We know that uh, it is requested besides 1080p frames per second, you got to have some other streams can catch the streaming like 1080p 60 frames plus uh, 720 uh, 60 frames plus 480 30 frames all can catch better on a single machine and then you also uh, spare some extra CPU usage for the end and end-to-end live streaming like the network control and some other usages compared to Aurora we noticed that SVT everyone if they want to deliver the same 1080p 60 frames per second and uh, even not as fast um, using the low delay the we tried several presets of SVTV1. And finally, we found, for example, preset 8 as SVT1, they can satisfy the low delay request. And then they can deliver about uh, around 40 frames per second speed, but consuming more than 20 cores. And also they use actually more than 10 times of memory consumption compared to Aurora. Uh, how do you... Uh... Uh, keep or maintain this relationship between your commercial implementation and the open source, which is also evolving. Do you still do commits to the libaom or to other open source implementations? And do you do uh, pulls, uh, pull requests from those um, um, uh, open source implementations back into your commercial code on an ongoing basis? Or ever since you, you you did some kind of a split point and you're now bra- two separate branches and you're continuing completely independently of the open source. As I mentioned, we were once heavily contributed to LibreOM. Right now, that's not, uh, we are not uh, as active as before because we are a small team. And we, we are right now a team of 30 and more than uh, 20 are actually engineers, actually close to 25. So um, we are dedicated of Kodak engineers, but uh, we have so many customers we need to serve. And we really do want to contribute more to the open source. Uh, limited to the resources, um, we don't do as active as before, but we are very grateful of the open source Kodak because they are there and we cl- keep a close eye to their involvement because you can always learn a lot of things from different co- code base. Like I mentioned, LibreM has involving a lot of uh, many, uh, trying to get a good trade-off between encoder speed and coding efficiency. If you look at the history of LibreM, just after I left, beginning from January of 2019, up to today, for the one year and a half, it already be announced that AOM become 2.0. It's mainly because LibreM has involved so much and speed-wise, it already speed up more than tens of times. And at the same time, the code efficiency and the PSR and ISTEAM has also furthered 
uh, at least achieved eight or nine percent of code efficiency compared to the version uh, of current version compared to the January two thousand nineteen. On the other hand, you look at SVT AV one, and SVT one always, as mentioned, is good at multi-threading, and previously it was not so much code efficient compared to LibreM, and right now the code efficiency of SVT one as have um, has been already published by Intel and also confirmed by Netflix and Facebook and Mozilla. The same thing; they want to be a very light um, video AV1 uh, uh, encoder. That's why we uh, together uh, Mozilla and and us and together with Twitch and trying to roll out end to end solution for AV1 because they're light. They they they're looking for low delay. Their code. Uh, size is small. On the other side, whenever we see a bug that happens in the LibreM or in some other code bases, even though we are not actively in uh, contribution, we will report our bug and we also report whatever our findings and communicate and sharing with the open source community. And one thing we have to stress that for the open source AV1 decoder. Uh, namely, at David, without David, we wouldn't have been able to talking and launching our product with so many customers for everyone. The hardware decoder is not available yet. The ecosystem is still being built up, and David played such a great role in pushing everyone to the wider community. So for David, because of right now,、uh, our customers also have tried David through the use of FMPEG and. Chrome also have leveraged the use of David, and it shows that um uh AV one is possible with the use of such a decoder before uh the hardware decoder is available.、So、we actually have two different versions of Aurora. One Aurora it is was originally um. Branch out actually start from what we have contributed to LibreM, and then we start to work on our own AV1 encoder. And our that code base right now is mainly focused on VOD, just as what LibreM has been doing. On the other side, we want to serve many other scenarios for live streaming and low delay interactive. So we start a code base from scratch. And that's also、uh, a version of Aurora, but that code is mainly serving for live streaming, interactive, uh, uh, low delay, and like I mentioned, for including the screen content. And for decoder, you did not develop your own decoder.、Uh, your customers, in many cases, are relying on the David Software decoder、um, on the playback side. That's true.、Um, basically, we we all focus on、uh, the encoder side because, because as mentioned,、uh, we not only from our website we did mention besides AV one, we have also trying to serve two C four and two C five encoders because we want to serve as many as possible video customers as possible, and then we but we don't do any、uh, decoder kind of work. We rely on high heavily on the decoder. Uh, app, um, applications on the involvement of themselves. 
when we talk about encode optimization, I know we respect so much of what Beamer has been doing, especially for your great uh, CABR effort um, for 264VP9 and 265HEVC encoders. So we all know that to, in, uh, to optimize video encoder, there's a different aspects we need to consider for different scenarios like coding efficiency, encoder speed, error resilience, code size, multi-threading. There's a lot of factors. For specifically for AV1, not only we have to consider of how good we can do with the encoder, we also have to consider how um, the decoder, like a David, can respond to our encoded bitstreams. Because, mm -hmm. for example, right now there's only the decoder that is available. And uh, we have a customer, they said, oh, everything is good. When we gave them our, it, it is actually, they are a video sharing platform. So for their scenario, they only look for uh, the video on demand scenario, scenario for our AV1 encoder. So actually every test is good. But when they start to play back the videos, uh, um, encoded by our, our AV1 encoder. They found they, 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 for their video, they added another layer, um, on top. They have a special subtitles. So whenever they add that other layer, they found when they do the playback, um, on the PC using David decoder, they got frozen. So they came back to us. We said, Oh, this is because we still put too much burden on David as a decoder. Mm -hmm. So we start to look for a compromise. We sacrifice a little bit code efficiency, but also we look for which kind of coding tools that we can turn off what we can tuning for different frames, different video content so that we don't uh, introduce too much burden on decoder. For example, um, um, AV1 provides partitions all the way from 4x4 to 108 by 108 At the beginning, I think compared to VP9, VP9 has a, a super block size up to only 64 by 64 The introduction of 128 by 128 for AV1 from the very beginning because AV1 also want to cover especially high resolution like a 4K and 8K videos and for our this special customer, we found for the lower partitions, um, any partition lower than eight by eight, especially for this camera, they're working on high bitrate uh, range. Um, you know, for your turn on all the partitions smaller than eight by eight, you don't sacrifice much on the code efficient side, but you make the decoder, the David, at least 50% faster. So in mm. this way, we not only compromise the encoder side, different kind of uh, parameter set for different uh, metrics, we also need to keep in mind on how the decoder complexity will behave. Yeah, that's very interesting because usually you optimize your video encoder for performance, for CPU performance, or you optimize it for video quality, or you optimize it for bitrate to get as low bitrate as possible. But in this uh, use case that you are describing, you're actually optimizing the encoder for bitstream complexity. You want to lower the complexity of the bitstream. You want to uh, remove um, some of the tools, some of the modes that the encoder can support, but are heavy on the decoder side. And you're doing that um, um, uh, out of consideration of the uh, decoder complexity. It's like end-to-end -end optimization. 
So that's why we are very thankful for the quick involvement of David as a software decoder. And also for different scenarios, like I just mentioned, for higher resolution, higher bit rate, and the decoder performance even uh, more challenging. Uh, as I previously mentioned, we have uh, customers uh, and potential customers that we're talking with all over the world, like in the Southeast Asia, like in India. And then because of the bandwidth limit, because of the limitation also on the mobile and devices, so we have to consider whether uh, David can be um, uh uh, sufficiently uh, supporting to the playback of the videos in that end. Everyone has a great tools on restoration. They have the post-processing uh, within the loop, like the restoration filter, like the CDEF. So we also need to consider when these kind of tools will have a great benefit for code efficiency, but also because these tools, they are inside the the uh, the loop of the video codec, they not only increase, so uh, on the encoder side, they increase the complexity uh, a little bit, but compared to the great complexity of encoder, the percent rate is small, but on the decoder side, the use of such resolution filter, CDF, they did put a lot of uh, percentage for CPU usage, usage compared to the decoder as a whole. So we need to consider such tools, when we should get them on, when we should turn them off, uh, adapt in an adaptive way and for different scenarios. Yeah, I see that's, um, that's really, uh, I think, important consideration, as Mark said, in the end-to-end -end workflow that uh, you need to uh, consider. Yeah, and it strikes me as well, you know, in this discussion and what you just shared, um, you know, going back to the differences between a commercial developer and an open source is I, I, this would be really difficult and not really even feasible to do in open source. Um, but when you're commercial, you're working with a very specific customer, a very specific workflow and set of technologies. And, and, and yet all of those optimizations and the learnings are then applied to the next deployment and, and the next customer and the next use case and the next application. And so over time, it seems to me that, you know, you end up building a very, very robust solution um, that might be a little more challenging to get to if someone is just um, trying to deploy only open source on both the encoder side and, you know, the decoder side, because they have to do that optimization themselves as a one-off. And if someone else has already done it, why not let them, you know, why not just adopt that work? So we talk about the image quality and there's quite some uh, factors involving for quality of experience, especially for videos. For example, we all know that um, they're looking at the first frame delay and, and also the frozen rate. And all these are really cared by our customers. As, as well as by the end users. So in the in return, they teach us what really matters for um, evaluating or justifying how good an encoder should be. 
you know, Zoe, I noticed uh, that you participated in the 2019 MSU Codex study. I believe that Aurora One did extremely well. Um, can you share what those results were? We were founded in 2018, so we were able to catch up mainly for the evaluation by the Damascus City University MSU Codex evaluation for the year of 2019, and we attended two categories. Uh, one for their 2019 HD evaluation. Uh, actually, they were calling for a codex, and the deadline for that category was March of last year, 2019. So we we were actually was just want to give a try. We want to try that how good our IOI encoder is. And the challenging at that time was MSU put a very strict bar on the encoder speed. Um, so their bar at the time is you, they have a specific video that you have to be able to encode that on their specific hardware at 6 megabits per second with the encoder speed of 1 frame per second. As you can see that, that was pretty challenging, especially you want to show the advantage of AV1. And we were the only AV1 encoder attending that evaluation with the deadline of March of 2019. Because as you mentioned, Libo, I'm still involving to get faster and faster, but at the time, Libo, I was still slow. And um, so we end up with a good result, especially on the subjective uh, quality evaluation. Um, MSU was uh, doing a great job on subjective evaluation. So Based on the report, they collected more than 740 subjects to evaluate uh, the videos subjectively. So we were ranked number one in that category. We were very proud. At least we showed that advantage using AV1 compared to other encoders such as 264, VP9, and 265 encoders. And then they also called in for 4K evaluation. And the deadline for that category still years uh, with the date of year 2019, but the deadline was uh, November uh, of 2019. So with eight, um, more months of for the optimizing our Aurora, we did even better. So for this 4K category result, um, that was published in March of this year, we ranked number one across all objective quality metrics, including PSNR, SM, and WMF, 4K and 8K, um, are the target of AV1 standard from the very beginning. That's why it gets the block size all the way up to 128 by 128. And we show immediately on the coding efficient wise advantage for AV1. My question is, since you you and your partner both have background in MPEG codec development, um, and you, know, you developed this Aurora codec for um, uh, AV1, um, as you move forward in the future in your company roadmap, are you looking at both MPEG codex and AOM codex, or uh, do you plan to stay uh, committed to the uh, AOM camp and uh, continue and uh, move on to uh, develop an AV2 encoder? Uh, we are contributing a lot to the AV1 encoder because there's a need and we see a very growing fast need from the uh, the market they want have a better uh, encoder with with better code efficiency and better visual quality and and at the same time we also look at uh, our own 264 and 265 encoder solutions 
Uh, the reason we chose this is uh, we look at the current market needs and also down the road in five years. For example, what would be the majority format of the videos all over the world? That's our target. If, for example, I believe more than fifty or even sixty or more percent of videos currently existing, whatever, um, either live or VOD or interactives, they still exist in two sixty four format. Um, because we are a commercial, if there is such need, we also contribute. To two six four encoder optimization, we have our own commercial format of two six four encoder. It's called Aurora Four. We also have our own two six five encoder referred as two six uh, Aurora Five. Both of these we start from scratch together with Aurora One. We believe with these three encoder solutions, we cover about more than ninety percent of not only the current video format, uh, but also in five years. We haven't talked about the use of machine learning on、um, the neural networks, the role that it plays in the codec um, uh, optimization in this field. So there's I I gave a several presentations regarding how to best leverage well what is the current state of the art technologies leveraging the use of machine learning in video encoder optimization, and there's a quite example. I usually talk to my surroundings whenever I got such a question. If you want to learn how machine learning can be leveraged in the use of video encoder optimization, you can take a look of the open source. Uh, Ivy Encoder LibreM. You just search the the keyword neural network. Ah,、uh, in the commit messages, you end up getting quite a lot commits that teach you ah、uh, with the first hand knowledge how neural network can be used for code efficiency improvement, encoder speed up, and all the other usages. So with the technology involvement, um, we think there's a All these standard opportunities, the standard activity, actually, indeed, a manifest of leveraging all these new technologies into video codec fields. Whenever there's a new technology that's being considered, that make us. Feel excited, so that's our passion about. We want to have the best product. We also want to have driving the technology in this field. The publications that I have done with Virginia for the past two years already surpassed the number that I have done back at Google for my five years tenure down there. I think the reason why AV2 came into being is one thing is there's a lot of things we once talk about in AV1 that doesn't have the chance. Getting into AV2, and another thing is with the AV1 getting more um being acknowledged and paid attention. There's more parties that more interesting into this uh. Uh, standard uh, community, and on the other side, like I just mentioned, the new technologies that's being developed. For example, within the loop filter, we usually talk about the traditional signal processing equations, but then with the neural network, there's a great potential that you can leverage the use of neural networks. It doesn't have to be deep deep learning. You can just use a very like a few layers of neural networks, with each layer have as much as, for example. 128 nodes could be enough. Then you can have a great potential to further improve the loop filtering、um, 
uh, that kind of performance. So with all these technologies getting together, a new standard such as AV2, to me, uh, is really make us feel excited. I, I agree with your observations on uh, machine learning. They really show um, a great uh, a great promise for the future development of uh, video coding. Uh, we already use such techniques today for optimizing certain parameters and tuning them and uh, finding, uh, you know, the right um, uh, numbers or magic numbers uh, to put in in uh, various places uh, inside uh, the encoder. And I'm sure a lot of that uh, is going to follow. Even though I believe the pure usage of neural networks already show a great potential in image codec, they are still far left behind in the field of video codec. To us, we believe at least for the next five years, could be even long, the framework-wise traditional video encoder scheme will still place, uh, will play a significant role. Uh, the framework, as we all mentioned, like the two-dimensional transfer plus motion transmission, that kind of fundamental essential uh, framework could still play a significant role, and the use of machine learning could be leveraged in each of these modules. As we mentioned, you could be in a mode decision, motion estimation, transform mode, a transform size, identification. All this can be leveraged, like restoration, loop filtering, and even entropy coding. But to us, we don't think or it's very, um, for the foreseeable future, it's very hard to imagine that a single or pure neural network can replace the existing video codec framework. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. Um, yeah, we, we do not see um, right now, I don't think there's in development, any video encoder that is fully based on uh, neural networks can really help in tuning and optimizing uh, parameters for the current encoding schemes, but uh, full uh, neural network encoding is still uh, far away, but it's uh, good that we'll have uh, something more uh, to work on and, and to research uh, because uh, obviously, you know, uh, we're all passionate about uh, video compression and uh, want to continue the uh, research and development work in this field. So uh, Zoe, I'd like to thank you for a really fascinating discussion about uh, video compression and uh, AV1 in particular. I think you're doing uh, an awesome work and we will keep following up uh, with your uh, achievements and maybe have you back here on the show. So uh, thank you again for joining us on the Video Insiders podcast. And it's a great pleasure for me to be here. We'll have to have you back. Uh, you know, the great thing is this space is changing so fast and it's dynamic and uh you know we will always have something new and exciting to talk about well have a great day everyone happy encoding happy encoding everybody bye bye happy encoding thank you for listening to the video insiders podcast if you'd like to appear on the show just send an email to the video insiders at beamer.com that's b-e-a-m-r.com with a brief description on what you're working on and why you think it's interesting for our audience this podcast is sponsored by beamer imaging the views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity that they represent